Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... <coughs> Daddy! And who could forget... <coughs> well, the good news is, is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped. You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse. Matt Hancock apologises for breaching social distancing rules by having an affair with one of his aides. As it turns out that it's not just care homes, and he didn't really put a protective ring around his wife's finger either. In the US, President Joe Biden announces a potential bipartisan deal on infrastructure spending, which will undoubtedly be shot down in the Senate by Mitch McConnell faster than an American child on any given school day. The National Audit Office identifies significant weaknesses in the cost and performance of NHS Test and Trace in England, which it presumably identified after zooming out as far as it could on Google Earth. And finally, world-renowned domestic abuser and also musician Chris Brown is accused of battering another woman in LA, as he drastically misinterprets his agent's advice to ignore the haters and just keep the hits coming. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News. It's time to get on board the hype train, baby. And then, later on, it'll be time to be confronted by a grumpy hype conductor who insists that you'll have to pay again because the hype split ticket you've purchased isn't actually valid for the outward leg of your hype journey without a hype seat reservation. In this episode, we're going to be bringing you all of the hot multidimensional insights the mainstream media has been sorely lacking, but we start today's show right here on humdrum old Earth Prime, with a tale as old as time. That of the alluring raw sexual power of politics, with its capacity to transform even the meekest of ranking combatants into erotic and irresistible monoliths. I'm talking, of course, about the undeniable sexual chemistry that comes rolling like steam off the masculine shoulders of Matt Hancock, who it turns out has been personally administering a few jabs of his own throughout the pandemic. It's been an embarrassing week for the health secretary, as on Friday the decision to try and remove him from his post was clearly made from somewhere behind the closed doors of Rupert Murdoch's haunted mausoleum. The Sun newspaper printed CCTV images of Hancock kissing one of his aides inside the Department of Health, which in itself sounds like a surefire way to get oral herpes. The images date back to May, meaning the affair was in blatant breach of Hancock's own social distancing guidelines in place at the time. But he's definitely not a liar, remember? The Health Secretary's indiscretions are more than a source of embarrassment for Boris Johnson. They also place the Prime Minister in an awkward position, as his cult of personality is itself built on the foundation of his reputation as an absolute shagger and general mad lad. Conservative moral outrage over extramarital affairs is clearly a thing of the past under Johnson, who himself struggles to dodge a Cobra meeting without accidentally falling into a blonde twenty years his junior. As things currently stand, Hancock is still in a job, but the fact that his apology so far has been exclusively about his breach of Covid rules, rather than the affair itself, suggests that there might be some careful engineering of the narrative going on behind the scenes that may yet justify his potential departure. What a thoroughly embarrassing dystopia we live in. 
It may be proving difficult for the government's critics to cancel Matt Hancock, but elsewhere the culture war obsession with the evils of cancellation rages on. This week, Billie Eilish was forced to apologise to her fans for mouthing a racial slur along to the lyrics of a music video shot back when she was quite literally a child. On the far less interesting end of the musical spectrum, the lead guitarist for Mumford & Sons left the band this week, citing his refusal to self-censor in the face of what he called a viral mob who reacted angrily to his tweet supporting a right-wing author. But has cancel culture truly left political discourse so hopelessly polarised that criticism of one extreme has to immediately signal approval of the other? And has it now made it impossible for any of us to grow beyond our childish mistakes? Joining us from across the multiverse by live interdimensional feed to discuss, it's our latest incarnation of Rob Mulholland. Hi Sam, I'm glad you brought me in for this debate, because if anyone's entitled to an opinion on the right to reinvent yourself, surely it's me. Ask the 28th incarnation of Rob Mulholland to appear on this show, I know a thing or two about having to pick yourself up in order to start all over again. Literally, in some cases. What do you mean by that? I mean, I've literally had to pick up my own corpse, Sam. When I started here a couple of weeks ago, you told me you'd run out of staff passes, remember? Well, your lot do seem to burn through them, Rob. Well, we're very sorry for being so cavalier with work property, Sam. Thankfully, I managed to retrieve this particular pass from the body of Rob 27, who was pretty much smashed into pulp under the rubble of a collapsed building. Look, the lanyard and fob are still covered in his blood. I didn't find the whole experience deeply traumatising at all. In fact, it was entirely worth it, staring into the abyss of my own mortality, just for the ability to let myself out of the staff car park. I'm not sure what any of this has got to do with cancel culture, Rob. I'm just saying, mate, we all do things we regret, don't we? I, for example, regret looking up Rob 27's family and accidentally re-traumatising his three beautiful and innocent children. Whereas somebody else might, ooh, I don't know, let's just say, purely hypothetically, regret the endless death and suffering his shoddy workplace practices have caused 27 of my forebears. Actually, I think you'll find we're very careful about our workplace practices here at IC News. Oh yeah? How's that? Well, I haven't hired a single Rob Mulholland from a universe with an adequate health and safety at work act for a start, so technically, legally, we're very much covered. You're a real piece of shit, you know that. It does somewhat baffle me that our listeners consider this show to be left-wing sometimes. Trade unions would make it very difficult to have a perpetually disposable correspondent. Never been a label I'm too fond of, funnily enough. Let's just stay on track, shall we? Presumably you've found a parallel Earth with something to tell us about the dangers of cancel culture. Indeed I have, Sam. This is Earth Beta X-Ray Soy Milk Latte 33, and it represents the very apex of cancel culture. In what way? Here, cancel culture isn't just a convenient phrase wielded like a cudgel to beat your way out of a racist or homophobic controversy, nor is it the fantasy excuse of a million mediocre public figures, the get-out-of-fail-free card used to justify their slide into irrelevance. Here, getting cancelled means something very different. Something much more... permanent. Which is why I've been so very keen, Sam, for you to look me in the eye and acknowledge everything you've done to me. How can I look you in the eye, Rob? It's a podcast. You know what I fucking mean? Good grief. I think when I'm recruiting Rob29, I'm going to have to try and find a slightly less melodramatic universe. There's not going to be a Rob29, you son of a bitch. Meh, the infinite nature of the multiverse suggests otherwise. 
Which is why I'm here, Sam, calling you out with my finger hovering over the big red button. Don't you get it? This is the end. This is my swan song, my final goodbye. This machine, this beautiful, terrible machine, is the Cancellatron MacGuffin 500. Its firing mechanism is quantum entangled to every dimension in the multiverse, Sam. Every single one. It was invented by a particularly vengeful pansexual vegan. And it doesn't just delete its target social media accounts and acting career. It deletes everything. It wipes them from the face of creation. Every iteration, every incarnation, every single duplicate across the entirety of the multiverse. One press. One single cancel. And I can delete myself forever. I can be free of your never-ending tyranny. Jesus, that's a bit excessive, isn't it? What terrible crime did its original target commit to warrant such a horrific invention? They wore a Native American headdress to a child's birthday party at the age of seven, Sam. It's cultural appropriation. Anyway, that's not the point. Okay, so what is your point? What's my point? My point, you absolute fuck, is that you've driven me to this. This is the only way I can ever be free of the horrors you keep repeating on me. And all I want, all I've ever wanted, is for you to acknowledge what you've done. To stand up, to be a man, and to accept that your reckless bullshit has called untold suffering to dozens of innocent Rob Mulhollands. I need... I need peace, Sam. I need release from all of it. You think I want this? You think I want to delete myself? Every single version of myself, every hope, every dream, everything I'll ever want to accomplish. You've done this. You've driven me to this. And not once have you ever told me why. Wait, that's all? You want to know why? Yes, Sam! Tell me why! Well, because it was funny. What? Because it was funny, having you die every week, you know, like Wiley Coyote or something, constantly smashing into the canyon floor. It was funny. But we're not we're not cartoons, Sam. We're human beings with thoughts, feelings, families. You've got a point though, actually. 28 times, the joke's probably run its course. I wouldn't want to just keep repeating the same shtick, although I guess it works for Jonathan Pye. You're a monster. A total monster. Nah, you're right. Better to keep moving onwards and upwards. Go ahead, hit that cancel button. We'll just have to think of a new gimmick. You're right. What's the point? What's the point in any of this? It's all been for nothing. Nothing. I hate you, Sam. I hate you. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. Wrath of Khan? Nice. It's from Moby Dick, you fucking savage! Ha <laughs> ha
Weird. You'd think the permanent death of a major character would at least close an episode. Oh well. We're now less than a week away from the Batley and Spen by-election, and the current polling for Labour is, in the politest possible way, less than optimistic. In the least polite possible way, it kind of looks like Keir Starmer is once again gearing up to have his ass handed to him by an electorate that are still struggling to identify just what it is that the Labour Party in 2021 actually stands for. The defection of former Speaker and famous shouty goblin John Burko from the Conservatives did offer some celebratory headlines for Labour this week, but it's not exactly a move that fills the Labour left with confidence. Here to digest just what's happened, and the impact it may have on Labour's fortunes later on this week, it's passionate centrist Joanne Gordon. Thanks, Sam. It's been nearly two weeks since we got the results of the Chesham and Amersham by-election, and it's taken me that long just to calm down. You know me, all that nervous, centrist energy. For the first three days, I hyperventilated into a paper bag. For the next four, I drank chamomile tea constantly and stuffed all my pillows with lavender. Then, I had a nice big bowl of everyone's favourite. Plain ice cream. Not vanilla. No, that was far too spicy for me. Plain ice cream. Tasteless, bland and somehow comforting. That is how we do it in the middle. I'd just about recovered from the shock of actually seeing a Tory defeat. And then wham! John Bloody Burko decides he's seen the light and is defecting to the Labour Party. It was like all my Christmases had come at once. Oh, and you would love a good centrist Christmas, Sam. The family gather round the dining room table for a lovely meal of boiled cauliflower. Then Grandad starts saying some disgustingly racist stuff and everyone silently agrees that it's far better to just tacitly enable him than it is to ever actually challenge him on anything. Then a million Iraqis die in an illegal war and everyone has cake. It's smashing stuff, really. And it was that sort of excitement that was racing through my veins at the thought of John Burko joining us. I mean, just picture it. A lifelong Conservative deciding that Keir Starmer's Labour Party is now the natural home for him. (laughs) If that doesn't win over the left, nothing will. What more proof do you need that Labour are sick and tired of losing elections than a sign like that? A sign that the party has really changed and has now become so electable that the people of Chesham and Amersham don't even feel the need to vote for them anymore. That's how sure they are of a Labour majority at the next general election. It inspires real confidence, doesn't it? And John Burko is just the start. I can feel it in my blood, Sam. Blood that pumps red out of my heart, runs out of oxygen, and then becomes quite blue and useless as it limps back round again. What better metaphor could there possibly be than that? It's taken a little while, but Labour are finally off to a proper sprint. Yes, Chesham and Amersham may have been the worst by-election result in the party's history, and yes, we may have lost 6,544 votes compared to 2019, but John Burko makes 6,543, and from there, the only way is up. In the run-up to the Batley and Spen by-election, it's all about winning hearts and minds, and eventually giving peerages to those who are clearly desperate for them. John Burko spent his time as Speaker sticking up for Parliament in the face of overreach from the executive branch. He knows what it's like to speak truth to power, and now he's become an inspiration for dewy-eyed liberals. All those days he spent on the hard right of the Tory party back in the 80s are now forgiven. I mean, really. What's a few hang Nelson Mandela pamphlets between new friends? You just can't buy that sort of left-wing authenticity – And you better believe it'll bring Jeremy Corbyn's old supporters flocking back to Labour. I think. Won't it?
I just don't know anymore. Well, the Liberal Democrats just performed strongly, for Christ's sake. After everything, the Liberal bloody Democrats. I feel like the whole world's gone mental. Every night I kneel by my bed and I pray to the God of centrism. Every single night. Our David Miliband, who art on standby, returned to us our status quo. But, but, I'm really not sure he even hears me anymore. I'm Joanne Gordon, and I think I need another lie down. <clears throat> Reporting for IC News. It's been a bumper week for distraction politics here in the UK, and we now shift our focus in exactly the direction that hopeless clown fart and whispering creep Gavin Williamson wants us to, just not with the patriotic intention he was so desperately hoping for. Caught in a constant neck-and-neck race with Matt Hancock for the title of Most Useless Minister, poor little Gavin needs as many distractions as he can possibly muster, and his latest hopeless attempt to get the country singing from his terrible hymn sheet may have just been the most embarrassing yet. The Education Secretary chose to use the fifth anniversary of the Brexit referendum as an excuse to throw his weight behind the utterly cringeworthy One Nation, One Britain movement, with a call for the nation's schoolchildren to lift their voices in praise of our newly impoverished nation. It was a truly vomit-inducing waste of everyone's time, and the government's most embarrassing tilt towards North Korean levels of appalling propaganda yet. Joining us live in the studio to celebrate One Nation, One Britain Day and the fifth anniversary of Brexit, it's our resident conspiracy theorist and enthusiastic patriot, Danny Sutcliffe. We are Britain and we have one dream to unite all people in one great team. Yes, yes, Sam, this is what it's all been about. Oh, good. I can already tell this is going to be terrible. And that's why you'll never get it, Sam. You'll never understand what it is that makes this country great. And you'll never understand why Brexit is the best thing to ever happen to us. Strong Britain, great nation. Strong Britain, great nation. I think I can probably take a wild guess at what it is that's been making this country great for you today, Danny. And it's clearly day drinking. I may have imbibed a patriotic tipple or two, yes. But this is a celebration, Sam, and celebrations deserve a toast. A toast to the future and to Great Britain and all who sail in her. You don't find any of this at all creepy and dystopian, then? Oh, please. It's a song written and recorded by children. Why do you hate children, Sam? Why do you hate this country? I don't hate children, Danny, but let's be honest, I'm not sure that their artistic output is traditionally filled with a particularly nuanced level of political understanding. If the Education Secretary genuinely believes that singing this asinine garbage is the best use of some of the very limited time the nation's children have had in schools this year, that's deeply troubling. Particularly when the current government guidance seems to suggest that singing out loud is still far too dangerous to be taking place anywhere in a hospitality sector that's been crippled by this pandemic. Now that, I will admit, is a somewhat galling contradiction. But there is a solution, Sam. Oh yeah, what's that? Reopen live entertainment on the condition that One Nation, One Britain is the only song anyone's allowed to sing. You can't be serious. Why not? Clearly the government scientific advisors have decided it's the only song in the world that's Covid secure. And you're always telling me to trust the science, you fucking sheep. 
You're telling me we should be celebrating the fifth anniversary of the cultural and economic suicide of Brexit with literal propaganda sung by indoctrinated children, Danny. I'm not sure that you're on solid enough ground to be throwing accusations of herd mentality at anyone. And there you go again with your pessimistic Ramona nonsense, refusing to believe that it's passion like this that's going to keep our great British Union together. For fuck's sake, Danny, the song's all about Great Britain. Northern Ireland isn't even in Britain. Yes, it is. No, it fucking isn't. It's part of the United Kingdom, sure, but it is not part of Great Britain. And furthermore, Gavin Williamson wanted this moronic song sung on a day when most Scottish schools weren't even open. So? So I don't think that a wild stab at establishing patriotic groupthink, one that displays total ignorance of the way the devolved nations fundamentally function, is quite the rallying cry for unionism that you and Gavin Williamson seem to think it is. Oh, fuck you, Sam. You and your elitist, liberal, sneering cynicism. You just don't have it in you to feel pride in the very country that's given you everything you've got. You're a snob, looking down your nose at the everyday patriots that form the backbone and silent majority of this country. Oh, please. I'm more than willing to accept that I'm in the minority and that chest-thumping morons who would rather wave a flag around than properly fund the NHS, social care or our education and justice systems are the majority. But I reject the suggestion that any of those pricks have been remotely silent over the last few years. Of course you'd sneer at children singing, Sam. There's just no joy in you, no appreciation of great British art. Music and patriotism can't move you because you have no soul. Really? Well, I've got a surprise for you, Danny. I saw this coming a mile off, which is why we're wrapping up the show today with some very special guests. You think your little North Korean display of patriotism is the only way to love this country? Well, two can play that game. Oh, now this should be good. Ladies and gentlemen, playing us out tonight on this very special patriotic episode of IC News, it's the Little Englander School Choir with Nation of Britain.
Hate you, Sam. Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with a right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind odd bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always... Thank you for all of your support, and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me, and if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar. <laughs> 